0: Let's go ahead and open our Bibles. If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Galatians chapter 6. We have. Uh, this sermon, and then next week, and we will finish with Galatians, and then we're going to jump in uh, this summer to a three-week series called Gospel Friendship that I'm really excited about as I've been preparing for it. Uh, Man, we're going to look at uh, why we as the church struggle uh, with friendship, Uh, often I believe because we do friendship or we try to do friendship the way the world does friendship, and it doesn't do a very good job, Uh, and so what is the gospel, how does the gospel speak to our relationship? relationships. And then uh, for the rest of the summer, uh, we are going to walk through a series called Storyteller. So every summer we kind of slow down and uh, sometimes we'll do Psalms or or, uh, other various series. But this summer, we're going to take each week and we're going to look at a parable of Jesus. And uh, man, what do these parables mean for our lives? How does the gospel shape and transform us through, uh, man, these stories that Jesus uh, shared in the gospels? Uh, but man today, as we look at Galatians chapter six, uh, we're going to continue looking uh, at how our freedom in Christ, which again has been paul 's argument and call since the beginning that life is not found in anything other than the good news, right? There is only one gospel, and and we man must depend, cling to, and that uh, look to that for uh, not only life but, man, transformation and, uh, man, the way that we live in the everyday. And so we're going to continue looking at how our freedom in Christ calls us to no longer turn to a yoke of slavery, which is using our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Instead, what we're to do through love is serve And as we saw last week, part of that service is learning to bear with one another in a spirit of gentleness. I mean, what I love is I as I thought about this and really as I've as we're closing out this series, I've been reflecting on Galatians, what I love about Galatians is that over and over and over again, it's not about what you do, but about the finished work of Jesus for you. And so what we realize and what we need to realize, and even today, the temptation is going to be, okay, this is what I need to do. Finally, Paul, you're telling me what I need to do, right? Uh, but that's not what he's going to do, okay? So don't want to get your hopes up. Let's go ahead and just lay that out. He's not going to do that. Uh, but we, we have to realize that performance is not the goal because performance wears thin. Performance moves us to trample over others. And performance is never fully enough to be trusted in. While grace through Christ is full, grace through Christ that that leads to faith, that works through love, seeks to serve others, and it it can be trusted no matter the circumstance, right? Everything else will fail us, but Jesus will not. So over the last year, I have been doing CrossFit, and I've tried not to talk about it because I don't want to be that CrossFit guy that always talks about CrossFit. I talk to it about, like, every time I walk in the house after doing CrossFit, I tell Haley about it, normally just how bad I hurt. And she's like, look, I don't, like, you're doing it to yourself, Kyle. Uh, But it's good, and I love it, and I've enjoyed it. But what I've realized, being almost a year in, is that, man, I am beginning to hurt in places I didn't hurt before. And it's not muscle hurt. It's like my body's just like, "Hey, dude, you're almost 35. Like you you can't you can't go that direction anymore, okay? Like your body, like your shoulder doesn't want to do that anymore, okay? Your back doesn't want to carry that weight anymore. And what I've realized is like, man, I often when I go into the gym, I want to perform. I want to beat everyone. And so what I see now is that performance is beginning to wear thin because my body's telling me, "Hey, You're wearing thin, okay? Not only that, but there are times when, uh, you know, I go in and I want to beat everyone, and at times I'm like, man, I'm going to run past someone, I'm going to try to go man. But there are now people, many people in the gym, they they work harder than I do. Because part of it I'm like, "Ah, I just can't. It hurts too bad. And also, like I, I realized that, man, I just can't fully trust in that. I can't find full satisfaction in CrossFit. It's the same for all of our lives. Man, we all have things that we seek to perform at, that wear thin, that at times cause us to trample over others and never fully satisfy. You see, we need a supernatural change. We need this good news that is, uh, man, it is supernatural in every way because we cannot produce it to change who we are. In light of this... Um, good news, what you can do, or maybe a better descriptor is what you're called to, it, it, we see in Galatians that it is not about you, but about pouring yourself out and loving service to others. So we see, you know, we, we walk through the first part of Galatians and we see, hey, it, it, you, you can't do enough, you can't perform enough, it's only through Jesus, and then it, it's not, hey, okay, so go do these things for yourself. It's like, no, the way that works itself out is through the way that you love others. You see, denying oneself is what true freedom looks like. It is understanding your identity and making much of others. And what you find in that is that is present and everlasting. And it is not solely the fleeting and momentary. You see, the good news of Jesus is present, everlasting. And what I mean by that is this. No moment or circumstance can hold ultimate claim on your life. Because the claim on your life is found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, The Scriptures even go on to say, You are not your own. You have been bought with a prize. Therefore, you are freed up because of that. Because in no single moment, no single circumstance it is, it holds the weight of eternity aside from what Jesus has done for you. You can go into every situation free. you are freed to serve others because all that you are all that you need and all that you could ever want is found in the person work of Jesus you see that's life in the spirit but on the other side we have the 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 works of the flesh that we saw at the end of Galatians 5 which are fleeting and momentary everything is ultimate in that sense but not only is, is the moment ultimate, it can't be trusted because it could be snatched away and or change at any moment, can it not? This is often why every relationship at times, when you begin to wrestle with these things and it becomes momentary and fleeting, because we can have this tendency to revert back to those things, every relationship feels like it could be snatched away in a moment. In light of this, what you have to do with this posture is guard and protect yourself by meeting your own needs, because you, even if you wouldn't say it, are the only hope you have. And as a church, I pray that we would be such a countercultural display of what it means to love others in light of how we've been loved. Today, as you think of your life, maybe as you think of your week, would you say... Or even further, would other people, those that you're closest to, would they say that you live out the, free, the freedom, love, and service towards others that Paul has been calling us to since the beginning of January? Or do you find yourself bearing the works of the flesh that are a result, as we saw in the message, of trying to get your way all the time? You see, it's this reality and the call to faith working through love that Paul has been expressing over the last couple of weeks that is meant to be a defining mark in the life of the church. And again, that's not the building, that's us. You see, as we saw last week and we're going to dive into today, it cannot be separated from community. For our love and faith is always worked out relationally and must be connected to the local body because in it we grow into the fullness of who God has called us, what He has called us into, and what He has empowered us for. Some of the marks of this that we've seen is that we would love one another, that we would bear with one another, and then that we would live out this mutual service towards one another. You see, faith working through love is mutual service towards one another that is a two-way street of which, man, if we're honest, it's not always easy to display, to work out, and to live in due to the fact that, again, our natural bent, which is what I talked about at the end of Galatians 5, is to walk in the flesh rather than spirit-empowered service and sacrifice for others. You see, the we we this the temptation for this happens all the time. We we are always being tempted to walk in the flesh and serve ourselves. Are we not? Like every night after, if you have children, or maybe after a long day of work, or working outside, or or man, just spending time with others, and then you you know. Uh, we get the kids down to bed and I go in and man, the dishes are overflowing in the sink and there's laundry on the bed and I can, in my heart, say, oh man, why didn't Haley do these dishes? She knows that I hate folding laundry, right? And like that, because that's my natural bent, is it not? I shouldn't have to do this. And that's what we often run to. Or we say, well, I'm I'm just going to not grow weary in doing good, and I'm going to do these dishes, but I'm going to make sure that the pots and pans are loud so they can hear it, right? I'm going to let them know. I'm doing this for you. I'm serving you. That's what we can do, But, man, we are called to something totally different. We're called to say, no, I want to do that because I love and care for them, and I want to serve them. Last night we were driving back from three birthday parties that were one birthday party and we had some balloon animals that were really just long tubes of air. They weren't animals yet. And all the kids could talk about is what they were going to make and whose balloon was whose. And, and we're getting to the house and we're tired and, and we pull up to the house and me and Haley have a lot to unload. And so I looked at one of my kids and said, hey, will you jump out? And will you go? turn the, on the keypad, unlock the door and get the door open so we can carry this stuff in. And I'm looking at them and they're talking about the balloons and whose balloons whose and what they're going to build out of this balloon. And you better not pop my balloon. And I, I'm like, hey, I need you to go open this. And they're looking at me and I'm telling them about 12 times they're looking at me and I'm telling them this while I'm loading stuff up. And I'm walking to the door and I realize I've passed them. Because they've made it out of the car, but they're still talking about balloon animals that they need to do things with, and you better not touch. And finally, I'm like, we have to put the stuff down and open the door ourselves. And I'm like, hey, we needed your help. And well, I didn't hear you. I'm like, no, you you heard me. You were just so focused on what would happen to a few balloons that you weren't concerned with what was going on. It's that, that self-focus of, man, I'm, I'm about these balloons right now. And I think we can laugh, but I found in my own life and in the life of the church, especially, man, I, I would like to say over the last year or two, but I think I'm just more aware of it now. I think we're all more aware of it now, like our own selfish bent because of first world comforts, desires, and preferences, that, man, it just kind of, it's just kind of coming out now, and we're like, this is new. It's like, it's not. It's just exposed, right? We're just more aware of it. You see, we too often don't listen because we're concerned about whatever our balloon is. We're focused on that because we're focused on us. Well, what I want to do today is look at how we might refocus and actually bear lasting fruit in our lives, in the life of the church and the world around us. So let's read Galatians 6: 6, six through 10. It says, "Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Alright, so last week Joe that came in and shared with us, shared that as the church we are to be a people who are not just filled with the Spirit of God, but are to embody God's love through bearing with one another be it through the restoration from sin or suffering, for in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love God and love others. In a lot of this call to bearing with one another, we see uh, that the bearing and service towards the body of Christ it is one of bearing in every area of life. Which again, like for me, in the way that I grew up in church, is totally different. Because I grew up in church with a box-checking mentality of I'm going to do all these things, right? And that's all I'm going to do. And you don't, you don't touch these areas of my life because that's not church life. That's not community life. That's my life. And as long as I'm checking those boxes, you shouldn't have anything to say to me. You see, Jesus, the good news of the Gospel calls us to something totally different. It calls us to holistic discipleship. You see, the life of the Christ follower is one of 100% submission and dependence to Christ. It's not a sprinkling of Christian labels over various areas of our lives, although sadly at times that is the case. Rather, it is full submission to Christ as Lord and a dependence upon His Spirit so that we might bear with one another well. Guess what? We're not going to bear with one another if we're not dependent on the Spirit, okay? Because we get in the way. We become selfish. It becomes about dishes and balloons and whatever else it is. It's 100% submission and dependence to Christ. This week in our men's equip, which is our men's discipleship, I don't know who said it, but we were talking, and and one of the things that was expressed was, man, I'm just really learning and really just struck lately by this reality that 99% submission is not submission at all. 99% 99% dependence is not dependence at all. In the same way, 99% bearing with one another, which is again that mutual submission, is not what we are called to as the body of Christ. We are called to be all in in every area, in every aspect of the church. Which leads us into verse 6, where Paul lays out a very touchy subject, especially for pastors to preach on. Um... It's pretty awkward to talk about because what we see here is Paul talking about those in the church sharing all good things with those who teach them the word. The reason it's touchy is because, one, there's been much abuse, okay? It doesn't take you long to turn on the TV to see a long list of what I wouldn't call pastors, but false teachers that are claiming, hey, the church needs to buy me a private jet, okay? I know it's 50 million, but they need to buy it for me. You may be like, that doesn't happen. No, it happened. I've seen it twice. Like, if I believe for it, y'all got to get it for me, right? You or there's this mentality of this sowing and reaping, where you sow in five dollars and you're going to reap twenty dollars. It's not in the Bible, okay? And so there, you know, you can go on social media. There's a there's a an Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers. Where this guy exposes false teachers and the $10,000 shoes they wear on stage, right? And I'm not saying that having nice things is bad, but it's this reality of like, there's this belief that it's all mine. So it's this touchy subject. And so there's abuse, but also there's a discipleship issue, is there not? You see, in terms of finances, this is where many people draw the line because there's this mindset that my money is my money and I don't care. You can talk about all these other areas of discipleship, but pastor, you better not talk about this area. Don't talk about my finances. Don't tell me what to do. But man, if we are called, not just myself, but as a church, if we are called to holistic discipleship in every area, why not this area? I mean, if you look at the life of Jesus and His teaching, He talked about money more than any other thing. Because He knew that the love of money is what? The root of all evil. And so what does Paul say? Well, let me just break it down into two sections. First, in verse 6, he says, "...let the one who is taught the word..." Now that word, let, is, is a, a word that is used as an expected result. He says, no, let this, this should be a result... This should happen. This should be expected. This should be acted upon. He, but he says the one. So what he means by this, he says, look, every follower of Jesus, no exceptions. Let the one who is what? Who is taught the word. Or in the Greek, this is, word, this is catechized. Or they are taught God's word. And what Paul means here by the word is the fullness of the gospel, Right? It is the proclamation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's not just that. It's how the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, how it has implications for your past, present, and future. You see, we say it all the time. The good news of the Gospel is not just for your past and a ticket to heaven for your future. It is the good news for the resurrection and transformation of your present life here and now. For we have, and, and we've said this, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Because Jesus took our penalty on Himself, and we will one day be saved from the very presence of sin. It will be no more. And that's usually where we sit between those two things, right? My past and my future. But no, the good news is for today, it says the kingdom is here and now. It's now, but it's not fully yet. But man, now, as a follower of Jesus, the good news of the gospel is transforming our lives now. It is, it is the power that, that, that is saving us currently from the power of sin in our lives, from temptation. It is transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus. And so my job every week, one of my primary jobs, especially on Sunday mornings, is to proclaim to you not a better way to live, laugh, and love so you might find the fulfillment you long for in your life. Rather, my job each week. And the purpose of Center Church is to proclaim to you through various means the good news over and over and over again. I mean... If you've been a part of our basics class, that's why Center Church is called Center Church. Although some people call us Sinner Church when they hear it, because in Texas we struggle enunciating, uh, and I'm, so they say Sinner Church. I'm like, yeah, both. Uh, like we are sinners, but we are centered upon the gospel. Everything flows from that, because everything is transformed by that. It's the gospel that actually is, is, the, is what makes all things new, right? The person and work of Jesus. Reason being is because one, it never gets old, but more importantly, we don't need any other news because all other news is bad and doesn't bring life and a new way of living. And so what I want to say about that, because I've talked about my job every week, and what I want to say is is I want to make it, if I stop doing that, Restore me, as it says at the beginning of chapter 6, in a spirit of gentleness. So that I don't disqualify myself like Paul says will happen in Galatians chapter 1. He says, anyone that preaches another gospel other than the one that's preached to you, and let them be cursed. And so we see that let the one who is taught the word, and then we see the the response of those that are taught the word. He says, let them share all good things with the one who teaches. The word share here is a word called koinonia, which means to share life and community together. You see, we, the church, are the koinonia of God, and we are to share life with one another. And so we are to share, and then it says all good things. So what does it mean by all good things? Well, there's a litany of good things. I believe there's one specific one Paul is talking about here. I believe that where he's sticking here is that you should, as a part of the local body, be giving to the local body. But along with this, man, a way that you can share all good things with me, but I want to like expound this to, to one another, right? Because again, it's not all just about me, but this is what Paul is addressing here, is man, through encouragement, through checking in, through, as me and my brother-in-law Nathan experienced this week, learning how to appreciate one another We were at a a one-day conference, and we had to look at each other and say, this is what I appreciate about you. And if if you have a brother-in-law, that's not the easiest thing to do, right? Like, it's just kind of awkward. We just kind of looked at each other for a while. Uh, But we did it, and it went well. But, you know, doing those things, bearing and seeking reconciliation, man, one of the greatest things as a pastor that you could do for me is if you're upset by something that I've done, Maybe it's sin, or maybe it's just a blind spot, or what? Man, just come and talk to me about it. Just come and say, hey, this happened. Like, I would want to do the same towards you, right? (laughs) Don't just, like, get upset and then just leave one day. Well, you should have known. And so we have all those things, but again, Paul is sticking here with, man, you should be giving, you should be sharing all things. With a local body. You see, we, myself included, are called to give financially to the church consistently and sacrificially so that we might be a part of supporting what is happening in the life of the church both locally and globally. So maybe you're sitting there today and you're like, well, how much, Kyle? What's the number, right? Well, I don't know. That, uh, I could give you a number. Uh, I'll just say this. God owns all of your money. So you're to steward sacrificially. I believe that we're all to steward to the point that your faith is stretched, that you have to actually walk in faith, right? And so maybe that, and we say it all the time, maybe that's 10%. Like, man, do that. But, you know, our goal, something Haley and I, like we talk about, is, man, how can we steward better and more? Not so we can pat ourselves on the back and feel good, but just like, no, God, you've given to this, and we have faith that you're going to provide for our needs. Man, today I want to encourage, us, encourage you, encourage myself, man, uh, that to pray and say, God, like, man, are we giving sacrificially? Where do I need to print, uh, repent for, for uh, walking in the ways of the flesh and beginning to, uh, man, try to uh, believe uh, wrongly about, um, you know, all these good things that I'm called to share with the local body? And so he shares this and then he continues pressing in by calling us. He says, look, he says, you know, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches the word. And then he says, do not be deceived, for God will not be mocked. Now, Paul's doing two things here. First, he's calling us away from self-deception. You see, because do you realize that given enough time and space and isolation and self-talk, you can make yourself believe anything? Now, that doesn't mean that what you make yourself believe is right and true, but no one talks to you more than you do, and no one lies to you more than you do. And Paul gets this, which is why he says, hey, stop, like, don't be deceived. Stop lying to yourself. Don't seek to blind yourself to your sin and turn to the works of the flesh. Don't go back to a yoke of slavery any longer. Four and this is the second thing he shares, he says, God is not mocked. What he means is that while we can easily deceive ourselves and others, right? Like we can easily deceive ourselves and we can easily put a mask on and present ourselves in such a way to others that we can deceive them. But God, it it is foolish to believe that we could ever deceive him. You cannot run, hide, or mask your sin from God. Just as in the garden Adam and Eve could not hide or cover their sin and nakedness, your sin is the same. And the results of sin or the turning from it are the same, Paul says. He says, look, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. And then at the end of verse 7, he says, what you sow, you will reap. Now, this is a wisdom principle that, man, on the one hand, it sounds really straightforward and blunt. Like, what you sow, you'll reap. But on the other hand, it seems either a lot like karma... <laughs> or a lot like works-based righteousness, which is exactly what Paul has been speaking against the entire time in Galatians. Where they said, hey, it's works that are going to bring your salvation. Paul says here, okay, what you sow, you will reap. You see, what Paul is doing here is he's sharing one of the most familiar experiences in humanity, which is the agricultural process of sowing seeds and reaping the fruit of the harvest of what's sown. You see, in farming, there is an absolute principle, and I'm not a farmer uh, at all, uh, but there is an absolute principle of sowing and reaping. And and I've heard it said like this, what you sow, you will reap, and what you sow, you will reap. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, First, if you go out and sow corn, you will reap corn. Corn will never produce tomatoes, right? It will never produce lettuce. Lettuce. It will never produce anything other than corn. Secondly, if you sow corn, while it may take a long time for it to germinate and grow, it will eventually come up. Now, I'm not saying that the harvest will be a full harvest, right? Circumstances can happen, but eventually it will grow out of the ground. As one writer states, it is not the reaping that determines the harvest, but the sowing. And it's the same law of returns that is found in the life of the church. What you sow, you will reap. Not a prosperity gospel reaping, which is false. But the reality is what you sow, you will reap. You cannot sow greed and not expect to reap reap. That type of broken harvest. You cannot sow lust and expect not to reap adultery. You cannot sow anger and expect to reap a harvest of kindness, right? You cannot you know, sow selfishness and expect to reap joy. It's not going to happen. And so look at how it fleshes out in verse 8. The divine law states that if you sow to the flesh, which again, if you go to Galatians 5, you can see the works of the flesh, you will reap what? Corruption. And that corruption will carry with it lasting consequences. You see, this is the product of the fall. Adam and Eve's sin has led to the reaping of corruption ever since because sin has lasting and eternal consequences. I mean, just think about your life for a moment. How many of you still see glimpses and moments of the consequences of sins others might have committed years ago? Like you just see, man, the broken, maybe in your story, like you can look and see the brokenness of sin and how that still affects you. It affects your insecurities. It affects, as a follower of Jesus, your struggle to believe who you are in Christ. Like we call it like there, or there's the, man, the sins of others, like there's this thing called generational sin, where it's just like, man, just generation after generation. It's like, why, do we, why is it the same pattern? But let's take it a little closer. How many of you still experience consequences or brokenness due to the things that you did and you have done? I want. I don't want you to to walk in guilt and shame in that because if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus taken that. Man, we can go to like we we lay that at His feet, but there are consequences at times, lasting consequences. And, and also, if you think you can hide from that, like you so 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 for a long time, and then boom, one day it's like, oh, where did this come from? Oh, well, it's you know just took it a while to come out. You see, much of what we experience in terms of bro- the brokenness of relationships, while at times this new, herd is largely, I believe, the unresolved and lasting reaping of brokenness that happened in our past, either by others or self. It's the same thing. We're just aware of it now, right? Nothing's changed. We're just aware that it's in front of us. Tim Keller once said that sin always bears destruction, never joy in life. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Sins will come home to roost. The consequences cannot be held off. But on the other side, the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Note the difference here. The flesh which sows in selfishness reaps self-destruction, while those who sow to the Spirit Will from not self, but the spirit reap that which they could not produce on their own. You see, our bin is to sow for selfishness that leads to self destruction. Like, I know if my youngest son takes off running full blast, there's a high chance that he's going to bust face, right? Like, it, it's, he's going to trip over himself, over something else, or what? Like, not all the time, but they're. they're usually the reaping is going to come of just like face plant. You know, we say like when we see like kids, right? Man, they're just an accident waiting to what? Waiting to happen. But the same holds true for us. When we run in the flesh, it will be a train wreck. But when we sow to the Spirit, which... Sowing to the Spirit is dependence and surrender. We give up oneself and cling to the grace of God. And what do we reap? It says you will reap eternal life. And I want us to hear this. You reap eternal life then, but it's not just for then. The kingdom is living here and now. It's not just new life. It's not just later life. It's Living. And so how does this work out in community? Well, it works out with bearing with one another, with giving of oneself, your full self. Then we get to verse 9, which is this call in light of this to persevere in the midst of community. He says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Again, there's that let us. I want you to hear this today. We are in this together. You see, the Gospel reminds us that I need you and you need me to see the reaping of a harvest of eternal life. And the way we do that is by bearing for one another in our lives. Can we save one another? No. Only Jesus. But that's, He's given us the church so that we might bear with one another. Keep pointing one another to Jesus. We are saved by Christ, empowered by the Spirit, and called into community for the sake of growing into the fullness of what we've been called to and called into. You cannot do this alone. Community is key in sowing and reaping. For we need others to encourage us to keep sowing to the Spirit and point out in gentleness when we are sowing in the flesh. So he says, let us. And then, But what are we to do? He says, let us not grow weary in doing good. What is doing good? It's sowing to the Spirit. It's surrender and dependence. Any of you find yourself weary today? You're worn down? Maybe you find yourself complacent, complaining, apathetic? Man, if that's you today, let the body of Christ know. I'm weary. But I, I want to press a little because I think we can read verse 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good. And instead of depending on the Spirit, we can begin to say, okay, what do I need to do? I need to do more good, right? This is up to me. If I'm going to get out of my weariness, I just need to work harder. I need to be more. I need to shape up because weariness is not an option. And so let me cover up insecurity struggles and show everyone just how much good I can do. And if I get tired, I'll just do more. And I believe we miss the focus of this verse when we live out life that way. I believe that looking at doing good this way is to focus on self and the flesh. It is trying to do good in one's own strength for the pride of self and being known for what you can do. Man, when your first thought to problems and situations is always just to do better, I would argue that your identity is being found in self and not in the person and work of Jesus. Man, when your first thought to your parenting or your marriage or work or church life or conflict is, well, I just need to do better and be better, you're looking in the wrong place. This is why people burn out. This is why when 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 things get tight, when money gets tight, when time gets tight, this is why man we pull away and begin to say, "Okay, I got it, man, I've got to protect this area." It's why we get really excited about something and then a month later it's old and we're seeking after something new. Because we're always looking to things that just make us weary. And I believe weariness comes by way of sin, by way of suffering, and by way of disappointed, being disappointed. And sin just naturally wears us out. Steals our joy. Man, but suffering does the same, right? It sucks the life out of us. But man, disappointment when things don't go as expected. Whether well, you know, we can become disappointed in ourselves. We can become disappointed in others. Man, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't meet expectations. But also, like we can become disappointed with God. God, why does my life look like this? Why did that have to happen? God, I'm, I, You know, and we begin to carry that disappointment, man, I'm not going to do anything. I'm, I'm done doing good. I'm out. This is why we need the body to expose and comfort and walk alongside us. We can only do good in light of the good that's been done to us. We do good when we're humbly dependent and powered by the Spirit to actually do that which we are not capable to do on our own. And in doing so, the promise is that what he says he says in due season we will. It is a guarantee, reap a harvest if we do not give up. Say, so, man, keep your eyes set on Jesus. Stay in the future. Stop moving towards the works of the flesh. Quit trying to rely on yourself. If you want to see the harvest, man, cling to Jesus. Not giving up is clinging to the promise that the harvest will come. The farmer, when they plant, they don't walk out the next day and say, Well, there's not corn out here, so all is lost. Till it up, right? No, they wait for the rain. They're patient, they're watchful. What we need to realize and trust in is that God has got this, that we need to trust Him, that we need to start giving up on self and what we can do and begin trusting more and more in Jesus. So, our women just finished a series on Galatians by Beth Moore, and in one of the days it says this in terms of not giving up and sowing and reaping. It says Galatians 6, 9, and 10 would have us know that no effort we've sown into the things of the Spirit is in vain. No prayer, no time in Scripture, no fasting, no serving, nor sacrifice. Man, just think about that. So often the things we're sowing into are performance. What if we sowed into those things? Into prayer and fasting and into getting in God's Word. No help to our neighbor, no aid to the poor, no word on behalf of the unheard. Will be of no effect. Any work we've done for the good of others, even what did not seem, even what did not seem to work at all, is a seed sown in eternal soil. And then she says, "This it cannot fail to matter. If it doesn't matter to them, you can be certain it matters to God, and He will see to it that it matters to you, whether in this lifetime or the next." One day we will see the whole. We will discover that our human definitions of failure were far removed from God's. So many things we thought were successes will turn out to mean shockingly little. And the seeds we thought we'd sown in vain will turn into harvests shockingly large. In due season, loved of God, we will reap when God seems to be taking His own sweet time. He is only taking time for the sake of eternity. That's all we need to open today. And so our response is to be, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Especially those in the household of faith. Man, this is empowered faith. You see, in light of God's promises that the good work He began in you, He will see through, and that He has not left us alone, but has given us His Spirit and the church as we have opportunity. What that means is that it isn't just we just sit back just kind of passively it's like no man I want to look for opportunity cuz guess what I'm free Today is not that not all the chips aren't on the table I can live freely each and every day and I can look for opportunity to do good to everyone generally but especially to those in the household of faith to those in the church The Word says that we will be known by our love for one another. The church is a display people. And we are called to display what life in the Spirit looks like. What life in dependence and surrender looks like. It's better news. That that when we feel weary, we can go to Jesus because He says, Come to Me, all you weary and heavy laden. I will give you what? I will give you rest. Not a list of things that you can do better. Not a laundry list of deficiencies, but rather His own righteousness and love and grace and mercy and His Spirit. That should empower us. That should give us joy. That frees us up. And so, man, as the team comes back up to leave, what are you sowing today? Man, are you sowing that which... It will just lead to the flesh. Are you sowing that which will reap eternal life? Today, are you weary again? Run to Jesus. And then, lastly, I want to encourage you to wrestle with man, in light of this, how might we do good in light of the good news of Jesus? What does it look like to seek those opportunities? And my prayer as we close out Galatians is that we would, that this would continue, that this freedom that is found only in Jesus would continue to flourish in our lives. That faith working through love would be, man, this daily submission to Jesus, daily dependence upon his grace and empowering by his spirit. And that we would not isolate from community, but pour our lives into community, serving one another in the world around us. That's what we're called to. Uh, That's what that's what we were made for—to display God's glory. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I want to invite us just to respond and spend some time in prayer. uh, Maybe just asking the Spirit to to work on one or more of those areas this morning, or begin to reflect on where you're seeking to perform, or where you, when you hear about weariness, you're trying to just do good. And just laying those things at Jesus' feet, man, I'm weary and tired. You can do far more. And then I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come and share in remembering of what Jesus did. The One who, man, laid His entire life down. Who, when He was weary, went away to pray. To meet with the Father. One who chose His will and not His own. We invite you to come and share in communion. We'll sing together. Father, we thank you uh, that the good news is good for our past, for our future, but for today, God, I pray that that we would seek um, to be a community that lives uh, in such freedom that the good that we do does not make us weary because of performance, but. It is an overflow of what you've done. How you lived and died and rose again. And that we would proclaim that good news with our lives. That we would see the harvest. That we would see it in our own lives and in our households and in our, with our children and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods. But it's only by you that that happens. Let us sow into the Spirit so that we might reap the harvest of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.